This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. If you've been anywhere near a video game, any video game, at some point in your life, there's no way that you don't recognize the theme music for Super Mario. Video games have come a long way since the days of Super Mario. The most sold video game console in the world is the PlayStation 4 at 116.6 million units. It's also estimated that the video game industry was worth about 90 billion US dollars in 2020. Now, the reason I'm saying all this is because video games will continue to play a prominent role in the fields of entertainment, pop culture and esports in the years to come. But more importantly, the industry produces technology and software that can be used across multiple sectors like medicine, architecture and urban planning. So, by 2031, the way we engage with gaming and the industry that surrounds it will be on a whole other level. My name is Arvind Yuvaraj and this is Futurescapes, an audio time capsule that's not just a prediction of the world to come, but a record of the times that we are in now. With level ups, golden rings, blades of chaos, bibalities, asylums at Arkham, uncharted treasure hunts and street fights that could one day change and challenge everything. Um, I might preference this, uh, this conversation uh, with, with my background. So I was originally working in fine arts and in another life I co-directed a few art galleries and things like that. But I've always been interested in game development and how it can be pushed as a medium. So I, and, and within that, I've been excited about how game development can share new voices and messages. And I guess I'm really excited to have this conversation about what game development is going to look like in the next 10 years because that's always been my focus. It's always been, how can we push game development to be more? The voice you just heard belongs to Jack Condon, an evangelist at Epic Games. Epic Games, of course, is the company that develops the Unreal Engine, which is a real-time 3D imaging platform that has been used not just in video games, but also in movies and TV, like on The Mandalorian, Epic Games, of course, is also the developer of the biggest video game on the planet, Fortnite. Jack is here to talk about the future of video games and what gaming might look like in the year 2031 and beyond. I think what we're seeing right now, you know, to understand where we're going, we need to understand where we are. And game development is now not only a medium, but it's a way of thinking. And this is typical of a lot of mediums. You know, we dream in films sometimes, or we can dream in words, or we think in a voice, you know? And and this is what's exciting because I guess that's quite airy-fairy, but to, to, to make that more concrete, we're seeing gamification link into every single industry. And what that is, is it's the principle of using game development to push these voices uh, or ideas or messaging in a brand new way. And we're seeing that beginning now. It has been developing over the past few years. But where that's going to go, I believe, is actually in general, we're going to be looking at game development as a medium doing a lot more than it's doing right now. It's going to be having a more profound social impact. And that's probably what excites me the most. Now, we are expecting rendering to get better. And absolutely it will. We're expecting, uh, you know, uh, 
uh, more XR mediums that are there are more immersive and all this incredible hardware that lets us interact with uh, with video games. And you know that's going to happen as well. We're expecting technology to have better access through things like cloud computing, and of course that's going to happen. But what really I think is the most important topic of conversation here is the social impact that video games will have uh, in the next ten years and beyond. We've seen so many different versions of uh, a quote-unquote gaming future in movies and TV, right? Ready Player One, uh, I think the most famous one, or some scenario where people are plugged into their consoles. Which one comes the closest to reality? Um, how far off are we? Well, I think I think they're all accurate. Um, you know, like you're already able to to plug in. Like, let me t- talk to you about right now a typical day of work um, that you might have in a film production site. So this is this is tool sets that actually exist today. These are tool sets that are being worked out and are very exciting. I'm going to talk for a moment about virtual production and how that might work, especially in the context of COVID. Uh, you have these scenarios where you could jump into virtual reality, right? And, and now I'm actually talking about game development tools, but I believe that this has a bleed into the consumer markets as well and the way we do things. So you might be uh, talking to a friend in virtual reality with your hands pointing to physical props on a set that you intend to film virtually and you can point something out, walk up to it, move it around, uh, move a camera angle, move a light. And actually, this is the gamification in a way of what I was talking about before of an entire film set. This is what we call virtual production. But what's amazing about this space and where I think it's going to push and go to is that this is actually a profoundly social and interactive, meaningful experience. And it's the type of experience that I always thought oh, wow, this is like, you know, uh, uh, a cyberpunk world or something like this. You know, it's it's an amazing uh, next generation experience. But the fact is, is that I might use that on a daily basis to, to get my uh, work done. And w- what I think we're going to see is that as these tools develop, so the, the tool I was talking about there from an Unreal context is called uh, Multi-User Editor, which I think is incredible in terms of collaboration. Uh, and it basically allows two people to connect in the same universe working on some sort of creative idea together. But as these tools develop, you know, the the only difference is going to be is there's going to be less friction. There's going to be more opportunities to ultimately collaborate with your friends, to interact with your friends, uh, and to make more creative content decisions or experiences. So as I said, I think when we look at what the future is going to be, it's going to be all of it. And I think that the most profound thing is going to be the social interaction and and ultimately collaboration of people. Right. And, and, you know, even when you said um, um, virtual sets, right, it's it's sometimes it still sounds so surreal. And I guess like people listening um, should know that when you say virtual sets, you mean like a completely 100% virtual set, the same way uh, Disney's Lion King was shot. So no cameras, no actual physical equipment, like everything's done within the context of a computer. Well, absolutely. But it can become even stranger when there is a real set and that's happening at the same time. Uh, I'll give you an example of, of how this might work is that you could have someone who's working on a video game, right? And they're working on a cinematic within that um, that. That, that video game, they want to have this dramatic scene. I, I don't know, let's just say there's um, some nemesis sitting on a hill and you've got to have this really exciting camera angle. And 
previously the way that would work is you'd have a director or someone in in that kind of uh, creative role and they might work with people on tools and they'll say, oh, and then the camera swings here and they'll draw these storyboards, et cetera, et cetera. But that director might have worked with cameras in, in their past. It wouldn't be that crazy considering their position. And they all they have all this uh, domain knowledge. And what we can do is actually create something that looks like a camera. It could be, uh, you know, we're on a camera rig, et cetera, et cetera. But actually follow and track that physical prop and map that to a fully virtual set. So now you're kind of merging these realities. And I guess what's so exciting is that the future doesn't always need to be about the latest headset, although I'm always interested in the latest headset. Of course I am. It can also be these more mundane things that have profound impacts on creativity. And, you know, ultimately that is going to create a better video game. It's going to make video games ultimately uh, more accessible to produce content on. You know how much quicker it is to film you running around with the camera, diving around, getting the shot you want, than hand keying everything. And basically because these tools are developed, these futuristic tools, as we were saying, because these tools are being developed, it means that we can iterate more, we can collaborate more efficiently, and we can make better video games. But actually what we're actually doing there is we're opening up the floor for more people to make video games in general. So we're going to have more different stories. And so what I'm actually expecting from all these collaborative tools is that in 10 years time, we're actually going to be seeing different types of games, different types of interactions, interactions that don't exist now, maybe even genres that we never thought would be popular or successful or even think of now. Uh, in ways of interacting that we haven't even thought of. Do you think maybe photorealism isn't the future that we think it is? Because like, look at all the world's uh, biggest games, right? Like Fortnite and every successful game on our phones. They're not, they're not cutting edge in terms of realism, but they're fun. So that's the, that's the key factor. So is realism overrated in the gaming industry as a goal? Absolutely not. I mean, th- this is a very subjective question because what we're actually talking about is art here. And art is there to tell a story. Does a stylized uh, aesthetic ultimately tell the story that you're trying to tell? Or is does a realism aesthetic tell that story better? And that really comes down to a lot of creative uh, decisions. But what we want to see, I suppose, from uh, the future of games in 10 years' time is that we're able to do both really efficiently Uh, And we're able to create the story or the world that we are aiming to create. So that is realism. It needs to be the most profound realism with lighting. And we're seeing with tools like in Unreal Now, the future of Unreal 5, Lumen allows you to do that kind of thing uh, with bounce light and realistic light sims that that, uh, look incredible. And, you know, that, that just happens out of the box. But you can also apply that same technology to a stylized game and generate new styles that we potentially haven't seen before. Something that always excites me about stylized assets in video games is that they're often a blend between, uh, you know, limitations sometimes can create the most exciting visual outcomes. And I think when I when I talk about limitations, I'm actually also talking about the exploitation of exciting new tools. And I can't see, uh, I can't imagine, and, and I'm so excited to see all the new art direction and styles that are going to be produced over the next 10 years as tools develop and we're able to do so much more with them. And new art directors stumbling upon these crazy new ways of representing the world. And of course, I'm still so excited about 
when a story is able to use realism to achieve the impact that it wants. And, you know, I want to experience that world as well. Speaking of which, um, I want to talk about skin. Uh, specifically human skin, which sounds weird, but but bear with me. Uh, because no matter how good it is, there's something slightly uh, uncanny valley about it still. You know, how close is the industry at overcoming that issue and sort of like fooling people into thinking that they are looking at another human being? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really exciting thing of where we are now in terms of being able to render humans. I've been watching on the internet and um, and once again, to step into the history to understand where it's going. In the last 10 years, we have seen a huge curve in rendering of humans. And you're right, this Uncanny Valley for a long time back in the PS1 games, we accepted these interpretations of people and we accept them to our heart. And, and, and you know what? We, we didn't have a problem with it. And the Uncanny, uh, Un- Uncanny Valley can exist but already it's bigger than just the rendering because there are so many things that adds up to it and it's not just about skin rendering and skin rendering today is incredible uh compared to where it has been so if we stay on this trajectory that is going to keep moving it forward but i actually believe the conversation's bigger it's also about animation it's about animation capture it's about the emotion and the context of where that person is and how well they blend in Do we believe that this scene could happen? And, you know, there's so many creative tricks to allow for that to happen. And I am often fooled with current gen technology. And then sometimes, as you say, I'm not. And I I don't believe that really comes just down to skin rendering. You know, we're we're really working at this from all different sides. For example, uh, you know, we have all these tools that now you can play with at home. So, uh, Arvind, you could actually download, if you have an iPhone or an iPad, um, you could download an application that is able to track your face onto what we call a metahuman, which is a digital twin of a, of a human that you can create online, download that, put that into our engine, and then start animating yourself. And the strange thing about this is I have a colleague who was on the show a while ago, um, Dean Reinhardt, who often does this on his webcam when I'm talking to him. And, uh, you know, he's not investing... A huge amount of time to this because, you know, it's a fun gag. And it's like, oh, there's digital twin Dean. Fantastic. But when he starts talking and his eyes start moving around and and he starts animating, I'm able to see Dean. The puppetry is able to pass that uncanny valley and it's able to represent Dean, which is, you know, hilarious and and, uh, quite amazing. And I think that I, I, I really believe that uh, as, as we move forward, you're only going to see more and more content that's able to absolutely make you... I don't want to use the term trick because it's not a trick. Uh, the whole in- intent of the creative is to make you feel that you're there, that, you're, uh, that you can empathize with these characters. There's no trick here. It's actually about the magic of a human connection. Is it safe to say that in 10 years, we'll actually have more animated films passing as live action without even realizing it? Because I'm thinking about stuff like um, the new Lion King remake, which is completely CGI, but people call it live action. This is the future that many people are working towards. Uh, and this is the future that keeps improving and improving and improving. And the trajectory that it's improving at is alarming. I believe that uh, that that ultimately storytelling will get better because tools will improve and, you know, we will have to spend less time worrying about these issues as the tools get better. But storytelling will still be a key component of that. And 
yes, I do think that in the next 10 years, we're going to see improvements that, uh, that, uh, that are going to be better than they are now in terms of creating that barrier. This isn't just because of rendering. This is because we will develop uh, with the tools, with the rendering, and really get the best out of what we're able to do with it. So uh, absolutely, I'm very excited for the future in 10 years for, uh, for real-time rendering. Do you think this will also solve the issue of, um, so there's an issue of crunch time uh, when making video games. Do you think with technology that can do things on the fly in, in real time and so much faster, so much quicker, do you think it'll solve that issue, that industry issue of uh, crunch time? This is actually a subject that uh, that I, I'm very passionate about because, you know, I, I've been looking at these tools for a long time and the impact they have socially and on ecosystems and communities. And obviously game developers is a community that I inherently care about. My job is to support game developers primarily, right? So I'm really glad you've asked this question. Uh, to answer it, I, I think I'd like to talk about a single pipeline. We're going to talk about the technical animator. Um and the reason I want to talk about the technical animator is I can pull it out very simply to talk about what, what they are and who they are and what they do, but also how their life is changing, right, for the better. So technical animation, for those who don't know, is someone who works with animation, but the implementation, the pipeline, maybe the programming that goes into dynamic motion, uh, into leaping over a hedge and getting the hand right on the tree that it's just uh, that it's just climbed over. All these kind of uh, uh, processes that once upon a time were incredibly difficult. And technical animation in these pipelines is one of the reasons we're seeing such more believable characters, characters we're able to empathize with because of all these developments. And now in Unreal Engine, you know, today uh, and for a while now, that whole pipeline has been node-based. The barrier of entry and the speed of production is incredible. You don't need all the experience and, and skills you needed to have before, but also as an end result, it's becoming faster. But what's really exciting about this whole world of animation is that we're starting to see white papers and implementations into Unreal um, to see the influence of machine learning and where they're actually taking a model of someone, you know, jumping over objects and able to piece these pieces in into an animation pipeline to start guessing those animations and, and creating organic pieces of movement. And I want to point out that all this exciting technology that makes everything faster doesn't actually replace animators. This does not cover all the things that an animator is because an animator is actually a highly skilled individual who understands motion and how motion can tell a story. They're not someone who you pay to sit down for hours in front of tools and tweak curves endlessly. Although often, you know, maybe they might have to. But as these tools get better, animators get to be what they really are, storytellers. They're less of a cognitive machine. They're more creatives, iterating on how, you know, how that single motion, that single smile that comes at the right time is perfectly placed to tell the right story. So I, th I think, like, I, I guess I bring that up because... This, this kind of emphasizes how I feel about all tool development, right? We're able to get a creative outcome faster. We're able to do it better 
than we were before, and we're able to reduce the amount of time we need to spend developing that. And that's how I would reflect on what that means for overwork um, or, or, or work in general, right? We want to, we want to tell stories, we, you know, and we want to do that as efficiently as possible. Okay, so millennials are in their 30s now, and that means that video games are not the unorthodox career choice anymore. Um, it makes as much sense as any other job that people do, right? So when do you think schools are going to uh, realize that and implement some sort of that syllabus in their subjects? I think that there's so many uh, education agencies and uh, programs out there that are really pushing uh, the value of of programming and the value of computing skills, uh, but also we're seeing it come from a different lens. And what I'm going to talk about is serious games. So serious games is this concept of games made for social change, games made uh, games made for a program specifically to educate. Um, uh, also, sometimes referred to as ed- uh, edu- uh, edutainment, right? Um, and these programs are generally designed towards growing minds and school systems are actually implementing video games into their pipeline for the purpose of education. I would say from osmosis, that is showing the value of video games and they're appearing everywhere. And certainly it's so exciting to see those initiatives. And I personally get very excited about that. But also I like, I suppose if if you'll let me indulge, let me, I'll I'll tell you about my youth um, Mm -hmm. just for a moment. Uh, that was actually going to be my next question. So perfect. <laughs> okay. I got, in, I got into video games the only way I knew how, right? At the time, I was a young teenager and, um, and maybe not even a teenager, right? And I was, I was trying to get access to, to what I had. And I ended up trying to make games in, in Microsoft Excel using their scripting system. They used to have Visual Basics in the back end there. And I'd try to make these cells and make them do things. And it was absolutely, it was insane, right? And one day, uh, my auntie's boyfriend came around who was working at Microsoft in the games department, saw this, his jaw dropped. And, you know, he came over the next week and gave me a copy of uh, Microsoft Visual Studios. You know, so this was a huge, you know, it was revolutionary to me. But none of this was a game engine. And I, I mean, later on, um, Flash came out and that had a huge impact uh, on, on indie developers, the whole Flash scene. And we've had a few other major milestones like that. But now you know, teenagers are growing up in the world where the game engine is accessible. Unreal Engine is free. There is no barrier to entry and you can download that. And if there is a hardware barrier, Unreal Engine is actually spinning up computers on the cloud that you can use for training. So even if you don't have a computer at home that could, you know, run video games and and, uh, run, run the engine, you're able to actually connect to one of these cloud computers where you can use Unreal. And this is a really exciting you know, this makes me very proud to be at, at, at Unreal because if we're able to give access to these incredible tools that are becoming so important, and as you say, that need to be educated on, and we're able to do those programs to to give access and that it is free and that you can just download it and start um, and start getting involved. Not to mention that we have like a full online training program with hours and hours of uh, content that, that, you know, can, can pull you into the world of game development not like I did where I was fumbling around and trying to work things out, but in a structured way that is, you know, the correct way. And all this content is out there and, and that makes it really exciting. And, you know, I, I think my story is is certainly bizarre, but I'm sure it is not unique. So it's really exciting to be living in the world we're in today. And I'm very excited to see where this goes in 10 years. 
So you know, what do you think that trickle-down effect is going to be like, if that's the case? Because obviously technology that's invented or created in a certain industry doesn't stay siloed or doesn't stay contained, right? So gaming tech has been used across different industries. So who benefits from all these advancements? Well, I think every everyone is. This is kind of what I was saying at the beginning is that video game development, video game tools are now being used in lots of verticals. And the, the, the tooling really we're seeing it in film, we were saying before, but we're also seeing in automotive design, we're seeing in architecture, we're seeing it in engineering. And there's so many new applications, which make me really, really excited. But also we're seeing the idea of making games uh, bleed their way into different, um, different areas. The idea of thinking, how can we make this more interactive? What does interactive mean to a pipeline? And I think right now, uh, Unreal Engine and and uh, real time technologies can certainly replace pipelines and uh, make them more efficient, make people work less and get more out of them, and that's a really exciting outcome. But actually, what I'm excited about, what's already happening, and what's going to continue to happen, is it can invent new pipelines, new ways of thinking, new ways of doing things that actually lead to new ideas and new innovation and 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 new ways of looking at the world. And that's, you know, that's what the real-time aspect, that's what the game engine simulation with rule sets that can change and be dynamic uh, adds to, to, uh, to the world as value. And so that's what I think is the most exciting thing and, and what we're going to see. What is your ideal 2031 when it comes to gaming? Like, what do you want to, what do you hope to see? What do you want to see? And what do you want to be doing at that time? I'm very excited for the future and I'm excited to see where, ideas go. Ultimately, with more diverse voices coming from better ecosystems and better tools developed that ultimately empower developers to iterate faster and tell better stories, I'm excited for more voices that we haven't seen in the game development industry to be able to take part. I'm excited to see game development as a medium flourish and, you know, be so much more than it is because ultimately tools mean that we can creatively iterate faster and that more people can tell their stories easier with less of a barrier of entry. And I think that that will have a profound impact on the type of games that I want to play and experience. I want to experience completely new stories. And so, you know, when I'm there on a weekend, I want to experience something totally new. And that's the future that I see. Be sure to follow Futurescapes wherever you get your podcasts from. Now, normally I would play an old clip of someone predicting the future, but for this episode, I'm going to play the startup sounds and the themes from our favorite video game consoles throughout the years, just for nostalgia's sake and to think about how far these consoles have come. This has been Futurescapes on BFM 89.9. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.